Hello and welcome to Paul's Podcast Diary, Season 5, Episode 3, for Saturday the 28th of January 2023. And coming up this week, work continues on book two of my trilogy. I'll let you know this week's word count. There's a new website in town that allows you to see your Amazon followers. I'll be revealing the follower numbers for each of my author names. Plus, I'll have the third of my writing diaries for you. And, plot spoiler, it involves several cups of tea. Let's start with the writing update first of all. And once again, I've managed to hit my target. I wrote 15,033 words this week. I crept over that deadline or that target by 33 words. So the breakdown of those words is Monday. I wrote 5,227 words. So I was over my limit on Monday. On Tuesday, I, write, I wrote slightly shorter, uh, obviously to compensate for that and to avoid word creep in the text. So on Tuesday, it was 4,737 words. On Wednesday, 5,069 words. So as I said, that's 15,033 words, hopefully, if the arithmetic adds up. And in total now, that book is at 35,078 words. That's the total uh, word count at the moment. So we're pretty well. It's a 75,000 word book. So when I finished writing my, for my second hourly stint on Monday, we'll be halfway through that second book and that's actually right halfway through the trilogy which actually I hadn't realized and that feels pretty good so as you can tell despite a long break from writing the muscle memory is still there we're still banging out those words and there's going to be an author diary right at the end of the show so just to remind you I'll sort of sign out as usual and then I've tucked the diary right at the end so that if you don't want to listen to it you don't have to but you won't miss anything uh, from my kind of author updates but I've had some good feedback from those diaries so I am going to continue it to the end of this book I'm only going to do it for this book but I actually think it's quite for my for my sake too it's actually quite a nice project for me to just capture the whole process of a book you know all 75,000 words at every single writing stint uh, you know just as an exercise but I do think it's quite interesting and actually I've got used to doing it before and after each writing stint now so uh, now that initial resistance has gone I'm happy to keep that up until the end of the book. So pretty happy with that word count but in actual fact I've written nearly 20,000 words this week because I also on was it Saturday and Sunday I think it was Saturday or Sunday <laughs> maybe Saturday and Sunday no I wrote it on Saturday and I edited it on Sunday I've also written 4,179 words for a top secret project the details of which i'm afraid i can't reveal to you i might be able to in the future but i can't reveal them certainly at the moment but i wrote those words on saturday so that was for a completely different project so i had to get out of the book i'm writing and into something completely different and then just write those words on saturday so quite a heavy word count last week or just short of twenty thousand words now, um, if you don't want to listen to the author diary right at the end of this podcast, I've got a too long, didn't listen version for you, just to let you know what the key points are. So um, I can tell you that this week, again, my books were powered by bananas and several cups of tea. I always get the munchies when I'm writing. That's something I hadn't quite realized, but I, I really get the munchies regularly in between chapters. There's a lot of pantsing going on alongside the planning. So last week I, I shared with you that uh, link for the planning notes. That will have expired now by the time you listen to this, by the way. So you won't, if you missed it, it's hard luck, I'm afraid that's that's gone. But if you manage to get a look at the planning notes, you can see the, the loose structure that I use around the book. But within the 1,500, 600 words that I'm writing every day, there's a lot of pantsing and making up details as we go along within that. 
The other thing is I break my own rules all the time. So, you know, I tell you what the general rules of my writing are, but sometimes I write over an hour, sometimes I write under an hour. The rules change all the time. They're, they're flexible, even though I, I adhere to basic writing principles. The other thing that I'm always doing is I'm constantly fighting distractions. You know, throughout the week, however much I'm in flow, there's always bright, shiny objects on the internet to distract me. And it takes a force of will to deny those and just get my head down and keep writing. But again, that's about muscle memory. I'm used to it. I, I know what the distractions are. And I know that if I just get my head down and write in those three hourly stints, before you know it, you've got 15,000 words of a book done. And then the other thing, uh, and this is a little bit, a bit of a plot spoiler, I'm not going to tell you about it uh, because this is the sort of detail you wouldn't normally get in the diary. It's just a minor detail that I've usually forgotten by the time I record the detail, uh, but you will hear about it in the, in, the, in the author diary at the end of this podcast. This week, I get a rare and minor health annoyance, which I have to deal with while I'm writing. So again, I'm going to tease that to encourage you to listen to the writing diary, but I'm not going to say anything more about it here. Feeling pretty pleased with that word count. Uh, you know, when you think that, uh, well, I wasn't writing 15,000 words, was I a week and now I am, and it feels pretty good um, to be doing that. I'm finding it straightforward. I'm loving the new routine, actually. I was saying to my wife the other day, she's saying how much she's enjoying her routine and that she's working full day Monday, afternoon Tuesday, morning on Wednesday, and then she's been out gallivanting for the rest of the week. So we're finding this balance of of work and application and sort of mental stimulation and going along going off and playing <laughs> there's plenty of time for playing in there and plenty of time for running we're finding that balance absolutely spot on at the moment both of us and you know i i prefer to write when she's out the house so i'm not locking myself away when there's fun and activity going on and um you know it's just it's working very well we're both very happy with it at the moment so this is what i was struggling with when we got back from spain to re-establish this sense of, of, of purpose um, of activity but to get the balance right I just wasn't getting the balance right before and now I, we both feel like we're right got the balance right entirely in, in you know the amount of work that we're doing and the amount of uh, playtime that we've got as well uh, it's always been about flexibility for me uh, you know my number one uh, metric is not money it's uh, freedom uh, the sort of the, you know the wealth for me is the time freedom and flexibility it's always been about that for me ever since i left the bbc it was all you know the, the the thing that gave me that gasp that feeling of of life force was always that sense that i had all this time that i had flexibility over and if i wanted to travel if i wanted to go and do something i could do it there was nothing stopping me we're going to the cinema this afternoon i love going to the cinema when it's quiet and nobody else is there you know it's that it's that complete time and diary freedom that, that I value most above above the money. That's why I love to do this. Uh, the other thing is, is I, you know, too young to finish and do nothing. I don't want to do nothing. I don't want to sit on beaches and things all day. It bores me senseless. So for me, it's always about the right amount of activity, intellectual stimulus at work, but not too much so that it overwhelms you. Having that time freedom and having that leisure time too. And either of them, in too too great an amount is is too much you know i don't want to work it all the time i've told you i don't want to write five days a week or seven days a week even though i probably could and i could i could be banging out a book every two weeks if i if i applied myself 
don't want to do that. That's a life choice. Uh, you know, similarly, I don't want to sit on beaches and do nothing for the rest of my life. I would get bored. I don't think that's good for anybody to do that. So it's always about balance all the time. And I do feel at long last, you know, after our trip to Spain, we both, my wife and I, both feel like we've got our personal balance uh, just right at the moment. So that's good news. Let's take a look at some marketing things then. I was talking to you about doing the Facebook ads last week and I'd, I'd done the Matthew J. Holmes uh, principle of, of the adverts. Uh, and this, I have to say, is in spite of me having done other adverts that have worked well for me. Now, what I said to you about Matthew's training is the, the, the information I think I valued most about that was, was the metrics, the, the metrics about you know, click-through rate, what kind of price you need to be paying that that was really good no one's actually I don't think anybody's actually ever told me that just said you know these are the metrics that you're looking for uh, the number of clicks that you're getting the other thing that I value most about that training is the the look at attribution links and how you know how to look at your stats uh, the other the other thing about those ads that I really like uh, that I think is powerful is using reviews in the adverts but after a week and now you know, the attribution data takes quite a long time to catch up. I think I said to you last week, I was aware of activity on the ads, but the attribution data, which, you know, is started to catch up this week is not so, is not so good. So I'm not happy with the results. They're, they're poorer results that I'm used to by my attribution links. And at the moment I'm, because I'm doing Amazon ads and I'm trying new Facebook ads, it's very, I'm not making a lot of money from it, to be honest with you, because I'm, I'm just literally throwing all the money at paying for ads and I'm losing money because uh, it's not, not bringing in the sales because I'm experimenting with different price points and things like that. Now, I bulked a little bit of that this week and thought, you know, <laughs> it's got to bring some money in and just do what I know brings some money in. So I have bulked a little. So what I've done this week is I've, I've switched those ads off probably too soon, I know, but... I've switched them off, not, not not permanently, because I want the attribution link data to catch up so I can compare the attribution link data, you know, how many sales have I made, how many page reads did I get? I want to compare that with what each ad cost me. Now, they got some activity, as I said to you last week, but activity, people liking or uh, liking adverts doesn't equate to sales. So I just want to let that attribution data settle and catch up so I can just get a sense of, okay, what am I spending? What am I making from that? And my, again, the attribution data I've got so far hasn't, hasn't done the job for me as far as I'm concerned. So what I have done instead is I've, I've, I've reverted to a couple of things I know that work. So, uh, you know, I, I have, I've rattled out my, I've rattled out my 12 pack again, and I've rattled out my Morecambe Bay six pack, and I sell those cheap. And when I sell those cheap, I get loads of page reads. And the advantage of the Morecambe Bay six pack is that if they read that and love it, and it has got a lot of good reviews on it now, that one, uh, it's like my 12 pack version to that one. It's worked very well. But the advantage of that one is it works slightly better because if they want to read the rest of the series, they then have to buy the third trilogy at full price. And again, because I always see the third trilogy book, the, the, the package of the three books together is constantly in my kind of top 10 sales. I can see that that is effectively driving people to that book. So, um, oh, the other thing I did this week is um, Amazon ads. Um, funnily enough, my podcast book and my digital products book, which I wrote ages ago, and I don't really don't give very much attention to at all. 
they're really quite high in my sales at the moment. And that, that, that's, that's also a sign of my sales not um, being more distributed across the books rather than my my box sets kind of, well, they are leading the way still. My top, my top two sales are my 12 pack and my Morgan Bay six pack. Um, those are the ones that make the most sales and the most money. But behind those, just behind those is the Morgan Bay uh, Trilogy three box set. And then the podcast, the digital uh, products book, which sell well. Now I've got a little ad going in Amazon ads, which is doing very well on the podcast book. It's, it's making more than it's costing me. And so, um, I was listening to Mark Recklow do an interview this week, and I'll talk more about Mark Recklow later on in the podcast. But it just made me think, yeah, you know, on my non-fiction books, those recent non-fiction books that I did, if I just run Amazon ads with no keywords on them, they, I just let them, uh, you know, toss her along with auto-targeting, they do pretty well, to be honest with you. So what I did do, again, as a quick fix, uh, and this is above and beyond what I'm doing with Matthew's stuff, is I just did four adverts one for each of my books ones that i know in the past have just made money for me and i just set those off and let them run because i thought actually i need to be you know i can make some sales from a non-fiction i should be flogging these a bit better so so i've done some cheap and cheerful tr tricks this week to be honest with you just stuff that i know that works but just to give you an idea of that you know i was looking at my my numbers uh since i've put attribution links on the ads and um, on my 12 pack uh, in the UK, I've got 350 sales on that and 466 sales on my on my US 12 pack. And that's this is excluding page reads, of course, because they get a lot of page reads, those book. And, um, and on the six pack in the US, um, I've only just put an attribution link on the UK because I had that ad switched off in the UK since we've had attribution links. Um, literally since I've just put the um, attribution links on my six pack in the US, which is not, you know, not fairly recently, I've had 92 sales on that. So if you look at that, what's that nearly a thousand, is it just short of a thousand sales? on those box sets since since I've put attribution links on them plus I get huge page reads on those books they they both drive my page reads you can see why I find box sets easier to sell and why I tend to veer towards box sets they're just they're just what works for me but the other thing is is because I've got um you know effective cross promotions within each of those sets um, and, and those box sets get reviewed brilliantly. Interestingly, they get reviewed. My Don't Tell Meg box set gets reviewed way better than the individual book. So if you think that um, Don't Tell Meg 1 has been going for ages, it's got a thousand odd reviews on that one now. Um, but I had to give that away. That was one of my beginning of career books and I had to give it away for free because it was the beginning of the series. And so therefore the, the gradings, the star markings, the reviews, veer lower I think because you get less focused people on them but if you have a look at my don't tell Meg box set it's got a lot of reviews on it and they're about four point whatever they are you know four point three four point something so when you look at the stars it looks like you've got four and a half on it but but the actual number will probably be slightly lower than that I think it's four point three four point four something like that but over four basically and it looks like four and a half when you look at the stars so the box set gets reviewed better now. It's the same as Left 4 Dead because I had to give away Left 4 Dead, um, you know, for free and in promos and things like that. That's veered towards the four, just like Don't Tell Meg, again, because it's probably had a lot of unfocused readers on it. But if you have a look at the Morecambe Bay six pack and the Morecambe Bay Trilogy one, 
but it's all packaged together. The reviews are well over four. They're 4.3, 4.4 in that kind of zone. And again, when you look at the stars, it looks just like 4.5. So the box sets get reviewed better. And I don't know whether that's just because people have a bigger commitment to the book. I, I, I just don't know. But um, so if I sell those, if I, if I make my entry point 99 pence or cents, you know, um, I could I could get the I can certainly get the click cost down very low, usually down to about 13, 14, 15 pence, which means I can still make money if I make a sale at 35% of 0.99. I'm still I can still make profit on that, but I tend to make more money on the page reads. I get have huge page reads at that level. So you know, that's a strategy that's worked for me in the past. I've told you that my pain point is that what I would like to be able to do is to sell books at full price. But I, you know, I struggle with it. I'll be honest with you. I, str I struggle with selling books at full price and this cheap and cheerful approach. And I could do it because I have so many books. You know, if I sell a Don't Tell Meg trilogy for 99 pence, and if you love that trilogy, well, there's a whole load of other books where that came from that you can buy. And, you know, the same with, with the Walker Bay series. If you buy box set one at 99 pence, well, there's a whole load of other full price books that you could buy, you know, if you enjoyed that. So at a personal level, dare I say it, that seems to be working for me at the moment. So I, I you know, I've reverted to type. I, I have sneaked back to that. I will look at what I've been doing with uh, Malcolm's, Malcolm? Matthews, Matthews with Matthews technique and I am using his metrics and the, you know the, the attribute there's a lot of data in that training that I got that, that was useful for me but I might stick to my own approach is what I'm saying because I did say to you last week I most people will tell you that book covers don't work well I'm sorry but I found that book covers do work my book covers do work very well um, the other thing uh, that works very well and the, the other thing is, is what I tend to do is I obviously I test six different adverts there's usually uh, you know, one particular advert that works uh, uh, best, one or two that work really well. Um, interestingly, the one that I think looks most ugly with my Walker Bay six pack does really well. So I've got all the lovely digital box sets in some of the adverts, but on one of them, it's just a white background with each of the books individually and then a price tag on it. And that that's one of the ads that does really well. It's what you would call an ugly ad. If, uh, if a designer looked at it, they'd stick their nose up at it and say, that's ugly. But, but it, it seems to get attention and it seems to make sales. Uh, but as I say, you know, how long have we had attribution links? I haven't had attribution links on those ads very long. And that's a thousand sales over, you know, nearly a thousand sales across uh, three, just three of my units. Uh, and I get page reads in addition, you know, so usually I make twice my money on the page read. So you can see why it's so hard for me to pull myself out of that and, and to do something different. Now, the other thing I've done is I always forget this is that I have if you remember I have now you see her which is a US it's it's um US English um a lot of a lot of you helped me write that book so I, I it was a collaboration I did with Adam Nichols and I'm pretty sure that I got a lot of you um I'm sure Bill Cocus did it uh a couple of others of you in the states read read the book for me as I was going along and just helped me with my americanizations and my language that book does really well. It's very, very well reviewed, uh, but but I haven't flogged enough copies of it. Uh, but that that's under the four point sort of three four point four ish kind of book, and it, it it's what a, it's like a safe book. You know, some books. I've got a book called um, what's it called? Two weeks, two two years after, two years after, and it has a 
an ending that a lot of people hate. <laughs> it's, uh, and, and, but I did it intentionally. Uh, and, and I could rewrite the ending to make it kind of a happy ending, but I, I, I haven't yet. I might, I might still do that in the future, but I haven't yet. Uh, and people, some people hate the ending; <laughs> just don't like the ending at all, and, and or, or feel that it should have a, a sequel because of the the nature of the ending. And so that book sort of veers to things about three point eight or something like that, simply because people hate the hate the ending. Uh, you know, that, that's not a satisfactory ending for a lot of people. But I did that. I did that intentionally. Interestingly, it doesn't get that feedback when it's bundled across twelve books. Uh, and the reason that I leave that ending on is it's the it's the old Star Trek factor. If you used to watch Star Trek in the old days, there's a you know, big joke about Star Trek that it was it was the ones with the red tops on were the only ones who ever died. None of the main characters ever died. And if you watch Star Trek Next Generation, they killed Tasha Yar, who was a main character. And I can always remember when, when they killed Tasha Yar. It was like, well, in my experience of watching telly, it was like the first time I'd ever seen a main character die because the main characters never died. There was no real jeopardy there because the main characters never died. Well, the reason that I decided to have a, a bad ending on two years after was because if you read a lot of my books, and, and, and I know there's arguments for or against this, actually, because I'm just thinking of the real big argument against it as I'm saying, speaking to you now. But if you read all my books, I just I just want it to be an element of surprise. I wanted to unnerve you by thinking you can't always think that it's going to get a happy resolution. And, and so I decided to leave that book with an unhappy ending, because, for instance, if you read my 12 pack, you don't want. Well, I say you don't want to. I didn't want you to think that every time you could predict what the ending might be, that it's going to be happy and everything will work out all right. So I had an unsettling ending in there. Now, of course, of course, as I'm speaking to you, I know that readers like the same experience every time. So I know the case against doing that. And I know I'm probably shooting myself in the foot. And, and I, may, I may write, it's very easy. I only need to rewrite what happened to the last chapters. Uh, one, yeah, one, one, two chapters. I only need to write two chapters on that. Uh, just, just literally the, the way the outcome ends. Uh, you know, I can just flip it round. I can just flip it, flip the book and have the character that the bad thing happens to be the baddie and the character that the good thing happens to be the goodie. Um, it's a reversal of fortunes. So I know as I'm telling you now, <laughs> I really ought to do that because it will make a better and more satisfactory experience for the reader. But you know, some, think of it as an experiment. You know, I, I always remember Julie Cordner flagging it up to me when she edited it at the time, you know, saying that's a bit of a painful ending. And I said, well, I'm, I'm going to run it because I, you know, I just, I want to test things. I don't, I don't want to do the same thing all the time. So now I'm talking to you now, I'm thinking, you know, you probably ought to, Paul, just <laughs> change that ending and change those last two chapters. So let's put that on, on a very big pending pile. But, you know, I just wanted to have um, a different ending on that one. But that that one marks lower all the time. You know, people grade that, review that lower. Whereas with Now You See Her, it's one of those books that people like. They just like it. There's no issues with it. You know, no one's, no one's got any problems with it at all. And they just rate it really well. It's also a good, strong US book because it's in US English. So I have decided that I need to be plugging that more. Interestingly, it's my only thriller that's wide. That one's wide. So um, I am pushing that again uh, as, a, as a singular uh, advert as well on, on Facebook ads uh, at the moment as well because it does always play well it does always sell well so um, you know that's that's kind of where my ads are up to it's constant checking experimenting trying different stuff you know just seeing how it works what i did like about those adverts that i did uh, following matthew's format i said i liked i liked the way he did the reviews i, I really like that and i want to play with that some more 
and I also liked the images that I got. So in Matthew's technique, what he does is he takes an extract from the book cover so that it harmon when you click away from the ad when you and you click to amazon you kind of see the same thing on facebook that you do on on amazon and i did like a couple of the images that i got with my thriller covers doing that so again I, I, i'm going to experiment with that so in summary <laughs> the too long didn't listen version is that um i like the images I like the way that Matthew uses quotations. I like what he says about descriptions, because I've always put something in the description. He puts something completely different in the description, which I like, and he does it for a very good reason. So there's a lot about that that I like, um, but I, I, I'm going to review the attribution data that I get from the ads that I ran, and then I'm going to try and sort of bring that all together, maybe with what I learned and what he's saying to try and improve things. So that, that's where I am at the moment with my with my ads. The other thing I did across the board, I did this last night, is I, I again, working through Matthew's training, I, I realized that I was missing a trick with the attribution links. I was thinking, oh, I've got to do a separate attribution link every time. But in actual fact, you just create a new ad group every time. And I had, hadn't quite twigged that with the attribution links because they're new and I've, I've used them piecemeal so far. So I went through all my attribution links on Canada, on UK and US and just kind of harmonized and did them a little bit more cleverly for tracking. But I, I, I love those attribution links. They're amazing. I, I got to tell you though, that the, the sales data is fine. I'm okay with that, but I don't think the page read data uh, seems accurate to me because what I'm getting in my console for page reads is much higher than what I'm seeing in my attribution data area. So I don't know what the lag is on that. And I, I kind of got to get used to this because I'm just getting used to the attribution links. You know, what, what I may find I've done is, and Matthew does say this, he says there's a big lag on the, on the, on the data with the attribution links. He does say that in the training. I might have I might have had a knee-jerk reaction to not getting the data through straight away, thinking all oh, those ads aren't doing very well, they're, they're costing me five quid a day. I'll switch those off and let the attribution data catch up. You know, the attribution data, but it doesn't quite ring true, the attribution data, because again, on the 12-pack, you know, I'm sort of thinking, well, I'm seeing way more page reads on these books than that attribution data is suggesting. So... I don't know. I don't know. I know the attribution links in Amazon are in beta at the moment. So I think it's just something we're going to have to watch and listen to people who do it at a far greater scale than us. But uh, yeah, it's gone back to belt and braces this week with the ads. I've just gone back to the stuff I know that works and brings the money in because I, I, you know, I've spent a lot of money, a lot of money testing ads at the moment. And I was just thinking, trying to get a bit more cash in actually. So let's just go back to what I know works for, for a few weeks and get some cash in. Now, I did say when I was setting out my targets for the year that I was going to try and send out emails every month via MailerLite. <laughs> and I did say, remember, I did say I had very low expectations of succeeding. I was trying to work out what I was going to eat if I didn't, but I didn't want to eat my hat because I'm running it every week. So I'm not quite sure how I kind of admonish myself if I fail. But in my planner this week, I saw a note saying that it was I was due to write an email in MailerLite this week and, and send it out because I'm I'm targeting it for the last Sunday of every month. I've always found that I get a good response from that when I did it last time anyway. Uh, and so I looked at that and thought, oh, I can't face doing that yet. Um, I'm afraid the, you know, I just didn't feel like it. I saw it in the plan. I thought, oh, I really can't, I don't really fancy doing this this weekend. So 
predictably, I've kicked the can down the road for revisiting in quarter two, when I'll probably kick the can down the road again. Now, there are some, you know, there are some circumstances here that I think justify that. Number one is I'm not, I'm not going to be releasing books until October. First book in this new trilogy comes out October the 1st. So I, I think so long as I'm kind of in me flow by October the 1st, then, then that's fine. The other thing is, is I, I am in the middle of writing a trilogy at the moment. And um, I've done, done quite a lot of writing this week and I fancied a couple of days off. Um, so I, so I, I really just didn't fancy settling down and getting through that initial, uh, you know, inertia, building up that momentum to get going. Now, it's just, it's frankly, it's laziness and it's procrastination. There's no other reason for it than that. And that I don't enjoy doing them. So, but it doesn't matter if I kick the can down the road. If I start writing those emails, say March or April, it doesn't matter. I've got plenty of momentum for when the books are released in in October when I start releasing the books in October so I can kick that can down the road um, so I am <laughs> so I'm not going to do the emails yet I'll kind of get to it when I work round to it but I'm, I'm just I saw it there and thinking I really don't feel like doing that this week I'm not going to do it so and this is the joy of course of running our own businesses because if you had a boss breathing down your neck they'd insist that you did it I am the boss and I'm breathing down my neck and saying go to the cinema instead and watch that new film that's just come out so that's what I'm going to do now, having expressed dismay about the Selmore Books show format change, and I got the sense from their introduction this week that I'm perhaps not the only one, um, I, it felt like certainly the first quarter hour of it felt like it had found a better level this week. I, I don't, you know, I like the chit chat about what they've been up to. I always like that stuff. And then they did do a big story, which is what I'm going to talk to you about in a minute. And then I don't like the bit that comes after that. I'm not really sure what that's all about. But they did play a blinder this week in, in the one new story that they shared. It was a, a Monica Lionel story. And basically, Monica Lionel's written this article, which I will share with you on the show notes. It took a little bit of digging to get to the article because it's on Substack. So I, I had to sort of search a bit and, and get a link for the article. But it's it's about how Amazon Follows can help authors. And it, it basically sends you to a new website that I hadn't heard of that gives details of earnings and rankings and things like that. Now, I've put the links for the article and this website, which is called BookEdge, uh, I've put the links on the show notes at selfpublishingjourneys.com. So if you head over there, you'll be able to see the links that are connected with this. But to to, to summarise, what I basically did is I thought, oh, no one, there's no way of knowing how many followers you've got on Amazon until now. You can you can now use using this software, you can see how many followers you've got. So I hadn't got a clue. Now followers are, are really important because there are there are a couple of things that are effective when you launch a new book. So one of the things I found that's very effective is the number of followers you have on BookBub, because when you launch a new book, BookBub will send an email out to your followers and uh, that, that creates sales. I've actually seen a difference with that when BookBub do that. So it's well worth looking at the number of followers you have on BookBub. And, you, and to be honest with you, you get those just as a consequence of having BookBub featured deals, which I'm fortunate enough to have had you know, several of for sci-fi and for um, thrillers. So... So BookBub, you know, always look at your follow account. But with Amazon, I've always kind of assumed, I know that Craig Martell was doing, I think he was building his Amazon follow accounts. He, he used to do some kind of giveaway with a, a Kindle Paperwhite, I think. I can't remember the details of it, but I know Craig Martell was doing some experiments with building his followers on Amazon. But I, I 
I don't think there's any other way of, of building the followers. They're like BookBub followers. They tend to sort of grow organically, as far as I know. So I thought, all right, I'm really interested to see how many followers I've got, because I haven't got a clue. I have just I haven't got a clue. So if you go to BookEdge, you can get a 14-day free trial, and it's a genuinely free trial. You don't have to put a credit card in or anything. I'm pretty sure I didn't do that. Uh, I may be wrong, but I'm pretty sure there's no credit card or PayPal details to put in. And then you can get your follow account straight away. So uh, here are my follow accounts. I thought you'd find these interesting. Now, I haven't got a clue whether these are good, bad, or indifferent, but I'll tell you what they are, just so that you can maybe use them as a benchmark if you look at yours. So for my thrillers, which I'd expect to be the best, uh, Paul J. Teague, I've got 3,249 followers on Amazon. For P. Teague, which is, um, I'm trying to remember, is P. Teague, that's my nonfiction, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, P. Teague's my nonfiction. I've got 174 followers. And for my sci-fi, Paul Teague, that author name, I've got 710 followers. So, I mean, that's kind of what I'd expect, really, because it kind of probably reflects book sales. It, it, it reflects longevity in different genres you know it reflects all sorts but it, it feels about right now I don't know whether 3249 for my thrillers is good but I do know in the screenshot that Monica showed uh, and you know she's a huge author uh, and I don't know what author names they were but the author names that she showed were 2000 and something so so hopefully 3249 is is reasonable but uh, I'd be interested if you're if you're happy to share some of yours I'd just be interested to get, get a sense of what's good and you know what's normal uh, for people with the with the followers because I, I just haven't got a club I've got no benchmark on which to base that now while I was in there I had a look around book edge because it was a new piece of software it always is something I could do with um, and it, you know it's fine it does it does all the usual things it tells you what your earnings are it predicts your earnings it shows you your followers which nothing else does to my knowledge I don't know anything else that will tell you what your uh, your followers are it brings in all your reviews um, you know all the kind of data that you might want to look at it tells you what your your rank is I, I don't really get sort of too excited about uh, rank to be honest with you um, you know I've, I, I've always uh, and, and somebody I'll talk to you about I'll talk about Mark Reckler shortly that's something he said you know I don't care about my rank I care about my sales uh, uh, and, and your rank tends to follow your sales <laughs> so you know so so in a roundabout way you kind of do care about your rank but I care more about my sales I've always cared more about income coming in than, than what I would call vanity, vanity metrics. But your rank tends, if you're doing well with your sales, your rank tends to follow anyway. But the thing that I will focus on is the sales, not the rank. The rank, I'm happy for the rank to follow, is what I'm saying. Anyhow, so I had a look at this book. What's it called? I forgot already, Book Edge. And it brought in some reviews. And I just happened to catch a one-star review there uh, from a bloke. I won't, give, I won't tell you his name. Uh, and, and as you know, I don't even market to blokes on, on, on my books anyway. So some, sometimes they fall into their hands, presumably because they're passed on or whatever. But here's, here's the review. And I just thought I would share with you a one-star review that I happened to see. And his review is, over 900 book reviews, and this is my first single-star review. I could not find a single positive element to recommend this book. <laughs> That's a classic book, isn't it? So having read that review on um, on book edge uh, i think i might give it a wide berth because uh, um, i don't really care anymore uh, and if, if you're new to this you know I, I can remember when i started books when you, when i started writing and you get a review like that and it would wound you and you think oh you know it drops my star average it's just depressing getting a review like that 
Um, and if you get a review like that when you've only got a handful of reviews like 10 or, or 20 it's really you know wounding and you think oh you know it really damages the the book's ranking i could just do without it but i have to be honest with you i, I don't look at my reviews uh you know I've, I've learned not to do that because you get a review like that of course immediately your heart sinks you think oh i'm rubbish what a terrible writer i am blah 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 blah. you go through all those cycles and then you think oh you know get stuff for your review i don't i don't care uh, that's the cycle i usually go through so let me tell you about reviews now. I've got so many reviews on books now. Number one, I've got resilience to a review like that in that it's not going to take me down in the way that when I had 10 reviews or 20 reviews on a book, so you know, it could take a book, say, from you know 4.7 down to 3 point something when you've got fewer reviews. I've now got more resilience because I've got so many reviews. The other thing is that because now, like on my 12 pack of books, I'm about 2,500 and something reviews and it's four point whatever it is average. Um, there's, a, there's a certain kind of confidence that comes with that where I say, well, you know, whatever, you don't like the book, so be it, that's fine. Um, lots of people do and I've made lots of sales of that book. So there's, there's that additional confidence that comes from that. But let me tell you what I do now if I, if I do happen to see a bad review like that. To cheer myself up, I go directly to a big author, whoever that big author is, maybe somebody I'm reading, you know, a, me a mega author who's doing way, way better than I am. And I look, I go head straight for their one-star reviews and they will have one-star reviews. And I read one of their one-star reviews and that puts me out of my misery very, very quickly. It puts it into context. Everybody gets rubbishy, trolley, one-star reviews. It's just how it goes. So to cheer myself up after this review, Patricia Cornwell just happened to have popped up in my Twitter feed. So I, I looked at her one of her books. She has over 7,000 reviews on this book. So I just, I just came by this. It's another, it's another, it's another, uh, it's another review by a bloke. Um, it's clear that the writer now spends all her time doing huge amounts of research, but no time even attempting to write an interesting story. She describes every piece of furniture in every room. Uh, Scarpetta, who I assume is a character, goes into. But nothing happens. There's no interesting dialogue. First hundred pages are basically a drive from a courthouse to a scene. And then there are another 180 pages before an autopsy happens. The book is also littered with bad grammar and mistakes that suggest the book wasn't even proofread. The series went downhill over after Blowfly. And this is the absolute worst and a sign that the writer isn't at all interested in giving us a good book. So here's my advice to you. However many reviews you've got, if you ever reviewed, if you ever get a stinker, like I just happened to read there and you, and you, you make the error of reading it and it knocks your confidence, go directly to your favorite author or a huge successful author, click on the one star reviews and have a scroll through and it will make you feel much, much better. They're just a casualty uh, you know, of what we do. They're just a consequence of what we do, uh, these one star reviews. And there's doubt you can do about it and it's nothing personal, but I mean, you know, really could not find a single positive element to recommend this book. Re you know, re really? <laughs> it wasn't the cover pretty at least. So, you know, you just got to live with it, unfortunately. And uh, I'm, I'm actually quite pleased. It was a nice little test because the more reviews the more sales I've made the more kind of confidence it's given me and uh, things like that really don't sort of bother me in the way that they that they used to don't like them but they still don't bother me okay let's move on to other related news this week and all the UK authors who are listening to this right now will know exactly my pain it's been end of year tax assessment time now normally I am very, very sharp with my tax assessment. So in the UK, the tax year 
ends on the 5th of April and the new tax year begins on the 6th of April. And normally when I'm doing my accounts, I do them the minute, the minute I can. I file them immediately. This year, I just had some additional complications and had to farm it out to an accountant, which means I had to pay a lot for my accounts issue, which I, you know, which is uh, at least you could offset them against your accounts. But um, I, I had to pay a lot for accounts this year. They were complicated, a lot of things that needed to be done. And so, uh, so I left it in the hands of the accountants and it's just gone in this week. Uh, but I had to wait for mine to be done to submit my wife's because my wife is a director of the business. Sometimes I take money out of the business for her or I pay us a dividend or something like that. So I had to wait to confirm mine to do my wife. So we, we've kind of last minuted it this year. Whereas I, I never have done that previously when I've been in charge of the accounts. And I'll probably need to get an accountant to do them next year. And then I hope I can go back to doing them myself again. I just got a, you know some little complications I need an accountant to look at um, to deal with properly, make sure that it's all, all sorted properly. So yeah, um, I've been you know distracted by end of year uh, self assessment. I've had to sign off documents. I've had to query, you know, had to query a couple of numbers and just put some things right. So uh, you know when I tell you that I haven't done MailerLite this week. Uh, you know, I, I have been fully engaged, as you can hear, and I have other, had other distractions. I don't kind of feel like I've got the mental headspace really to, to, to just to do something new like MailerLite at the moment. That's why I'm kicking it, kicking that can uh, down the road. So um, we're, we're, we were in a week before the deadline, so that's all fine. Tax is a bit stressful. I do get a bit stressed uh, about tax. I, I have done this year because uh, it has been a bit. I've had a, a deal with a number of queries and things from the accountant but it's all in now it's all done it's signed sealed and delivered phew and before the tax deadline which is the 31st of January whether I'll do it early again next year I probably won't be able to because I'll probably have to sign over to an accountant again but we'll we'll see we'll see how it goes now um Mark Recklow uh who is a non-fiction a very very successful non-fiction author he was on Joanna Penn's podcast this week. Now, Mark Recklow, I've probably told you this anyway, but last year at SPS Live, he was excellent. He's entertaining, very, very funny to listen to, huge, hugely successful, and he's got a great author story. So if you've got access to the videos from SPS Live last year and you haven't watched Mark Recklow's, highly recommended. I'm also going to recommend that you listen to Joanna Penn's podcast if you haven't already this week with Mark Recklow on it. Now, he's non-fiction, so that's going to switch a lot of people off immediately but I do have non-fiction so I always listen to Mark Recklow and I remember when I left SPS Live last year thinking I need to look at my non-fiction again you know I've got lots of non-fiction I need to look at non-fiction I've always said to you that my non-fiction sells itself and it does it just sells itself I I publish it and it sells itself not in huge numbers not like my uh, thrillers have done in the past but in steady numbers I, I look at I look at what I'm earning and I think oh you know that's that's, you can't can't knock that for not having done much with it. So my my nonfiction has always been a slow burner. Uh, the reviews have always been sort of steady on it. You know, in the way that you might get a horrible one star review um, on a piece of fiction that you write, like I read you just now, tend not to get that on nonfiction because if if you don't, I mean, I only, I only write about stu stuff that, that that I know about. So if you know your stuff, then it ought to be okay, I suppose. You know, so there'll always be people who crit criticize it, don't like your writing style, think you're talking nonsense, blah, 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 blah. You know, there's always someone like that. But, you know, generally, if you know what you're talking about and, and it's fine writing the book, then it's okay. You don't really get reviews like that. So, um, you know, my podcast and digital products books just sell without my intervention. Gen generally, I'm quite surprised at the digital product book. It sells, I don't think I've even got the ads on it at the moment. That's what made me go back to the Amazon ads and think, oh, I ought to flog this. Anyhow, 
listening to Mark Recklow, and it's so easy to write non-fiction books. I find non-fiction books so easy to write. And Mark Recklow was saying, you know, he used to write non-fiction books at 25,000 words, but he pretty well writes them to 15,000 words now and sells them at 399. Uh, 399 499 because because the difference with a non-fiction book is is that the and i've said i've said this again you know over the years i've said this before that a non-fiction book solves your pain so if you're you know say you're painfully shy and i write a book you know 50 techniques to beat your shyness that book beats your pain exactly and so if you're feeling that pain and i can get that book in front of your eyes you're very likely to buy that book and you'll pay anything you need because you know a higher price because it's solving your pain or it offers to solve your pain and the other thing that mark was saying is that in this kind of non-fiction self-help field people like shorter books they like fifteen thousand word books now i've written fifteen thousand words this week i could be writing a non-fiction book there's kind of books that Mark Recklaus writing. I could write one a week. I could certainly write one every two weeks. Now, again, I find nonfiction books need less editing because it's really, it's just my voice. It's me talking and, and writing. So they need much less editing. They're much less complicated than when you write a, um, a, a fiction book. You know, there's no dialogue. There's no the whole process of writing a fiction book is, is is completely different, and people's expectations are completely different. And indeed, I bought Mark's book this week. Uh, it's called Rich Author, Poor Author, and I read it. This is no disrespect to Mark because there'll be you know errors in my books. I'm sure there were there were spelling errors and things in there, as there are in most books. Uh, you know, a couple slipped through that I happened to spot did not detract from the information in the book. You know, I'm not, you know, I'm not snobby about these things. We're all human, things slip through. Uh, and I thoroughly enjoyed the book. Um, it was, you know, it's a good book. It was a good read um, as a non-fiction writer. It just reminded me of some things, brought them to the front of my mind. Um, and, you know, I don't mind the odd error in there, but you could see, you know, it's, it's not much more than a, a well-formatted Word document. That's no insult, but this is, this is just what non-fiction books are. Um, and it did make me think in a moment of weakness, I did think about just potentially taking a break from psychological thrillers, just, just taking a palette refresh break and thinking, well, how many non could I write 12, 10 to 12 nonfiction books over a short period and rapid release a, a series of uh, nonfiction books, no more than 25,000 words, but aiming for about 15 to 20,000 words because over a six month period, writing like I am at the moment, writing 15,000 words a week. So what's, let's just say four, four weeks of the year, that's 15,000 uh, 15, words a week, times four weeks in a month, times six months in a year, that's uh, 360,000 words that I'm capable of writing in a six month period. Uh, divide that between 15,000, that would be that would be 24 books, all right? So I could very easily write a series of 10, to 12 non-fiction books over a period of six months and the devil in me because i can write non-fiction books so easily the devil in me did think hmm the mark recklow approach is this is this is this like a nice would this be a nice little palette refresher uh just to take a break after i finish this trilogy to do something just completely different and then come back to the come back to psychological thrillers again when my mind has been elsewhere and had some time to recharge from that genre 
so that I'm just going to let that hanging in there like a you know, like a prospect just it was a thought and I just thought hmm quite interested in that because I've I have thought for a long time because I've I'm in this kind of retirement zone I have thought to myself yeah you know retirement huge audience generally with a disposable income uh, very easily targetable audience so I'd, I'd probably target people from 50 upwards if I did that it's my age I'm talking you know I know I know the experiences the life experiences the thoughts the you know all the processes of people my age so it's not like I'm trying to talk to a TikTok audience I'm talking to my my kind of age of audience and I thought about writing a series of books on retirement themes and I was thinking uh, you know, reactivate your retirement or activate your retirement, something like that, and just looking at different themes connected with retirement. So I'm letting that hang in the air at the moment, just thinking, hmm, you know, just interested in that. Following the Mark Recklow model of 15k words, and, and uh, I'm just really interested to hear how he's hitting different uh, territories. Uh, you know, he's very big in Japan. To coin a song phrase that's one of the songs in my dj set uh, big in japan by alphaville i think it is and um he, you know it, it, just to follow his technique because also before mark Recklow, there was steve scott i don't know whether you remember steve scott but steve scott did exactly the same and had exactly the same success and i remember following steve scott and thinking wonder if i should do this wonder if i should do this i didn't have the the self-help topic then but I'm right in the heart of retirement issues. You know, what do you do in retirement? Do you work? Do you play? How do you organize your time? You know, financial stuff, leisure stuff, exercise stuff. There's so many things around retirement that I'm interested in at the moment. It's very much, I'm reading loads of articles on retirement and things like that. And that's, that's where my mind is at the moment. And I'm thinking, hmm, I spot a potential opportunity here. So let that just hang in the air. No plans yet. I've got a little note on the side on my on my what's it called the tower on my computer. I stick little post-it notes of, of longer-term things that I've got to remember, and I just made a little post-it note about that just so I don't forget it. And I could use Chat GPT to generate some ideas as well, which I would do with that as well. So that's just hang in there. And uh, just to mention, I bought Mark's Rich Author Poor Author book, which I enjoyed. It's three ninety nine. It's a fairly short book. I rattled through it. Um, just sitting on the settee in about an hour, hour and a half, uh, you know, before I sat down to watch telly uh, midweek. Very easy read, uh, very enjoyable read, makes a lot of good points in there. Um, you know, I'm quite happy with that. I'm quite happy to pay that for a non-fiction book, but I'll put the link in the show notes at selfpublishedjourneys.com if you want to take a look at that. Now, another very strong podcast episode this week was Joanna Penn. She appeared on the Wish I'd Known Then podcast. And um, I thought it was a really, really frank discussion about sort of health challenges and mental health difficulties. And you don't normally hear Joanna talking about this stuff. And on the podcast, you know, she said specifically, I don't really talk about this on my podcast. And she was talking about things related to, to menopause and things like that. And what I hadn't realized until I listened to this podcast, uh, she, she's hinted at it on her own weekly podcast, but she hasn't been as specific about it as she was on the Wish I'd Known Then podcast, you know, about how it's affected her quite severely over uh, a period of six months and how badly uh, COVID had affected her, recovering from COVID had affected her. So this is new material from Joanna and I just specifically want to uh, point it out to you because I think you know we look at uh, Joanna Penn and think she's somehow you know she's indestructible <laughs> you know she's always upbeat uh, and, and, and you don't think anything ever happens to disrupt that and um, you really get a, a very good insight I thought it was an excellent interview really enjoyed it 
she's she's so good Joanna isn't she she's it was frank it was illuminating and she's a bright beacon of class and quality I think in the indie world and you know whatever I hear her talk about I always enjoy uh, you know listening to it but I thought this was a really strong episode so that's worth going out your way to catch I've put the link to that podcast episode on this week's show notes so you don't have to go hunting for it and then um, again I, I can't sort of share anything with you for this but I just want to tell you about it you know I'm a, a member of this Dream Author Academy that uh, Sophie Hanna has for authors and um, Sophie did four webinars the other week I told you about those I asked her if I could share them but I can't share them unfortunately but I've been working through them as I've been going through the week and she did a, a great episode she was answering questions and she was talking about the money mindset and I'm just going to share this with you because she was talking about this concept and I, I'm guilty of this Guil guilty of saying well you know say I write a book and it takes me um, say it takes me 5,000 hours I just want to make the arithmetic easy say it takes me 5,000 hours to, to write edit and bring a book to sale and market it and I make 5,000 pounds or dollars from that book so my hourly rate is one pound or one dollar per hour in that scenario so it's the principle I'm talking about rather than the, you know the, the specific maths for each book here and at that point you'd say well I'm better off working at McDonald's and flipping burgers because I can earn much more than that flipping burgers and I've always been that mindset with my books this is why I value Dream Author Academy so much because Sophie does a lot of work on the kind of mindset and the, the hang-ups of authors and it's I'm getting a lot of value from it so the thing she said this week is she was explaining about her her writing career and how I think she started writing poetry and she said she she sold this was traditionally published she sold I think it was 200 copies of that and at the time she felt like a you know a massive success with those copies and now she sells you know millions she's she's a she's a she's a millionaire over a millionaire which I didn't know and, and found out this week so probably several times by the sounds of it from from writing but she was just putting that into context and she was just it's brilliant detail this is why I like being in that academy she was saying that writers don't operate in a time for money economy this was the point she was making so this is the mindset I've had how much do I make from a book roughly what's my average pay per hour I could make more money flipping burgers you know that's what I thought um, for, for a long time while I was earning you know just nothing from my books so Sophie says don't tot it up by the hour don't tot it up by the hour forget that and she illustrated to me or she illustrated on the talk how um, an old book is still bringing in money so she was saying about um, her first book I think took three years to write and I think um, she got something like um, eight thousand three hundred pounds per year um, by advance so was it a twenty five thousand pounds advance so she was saying that you know that's just barely over uh, the seven thousand pound a year that the average author makes that's you know she was effectively getting paid about eight thousand pound a year for that first book because it took her so long to write if you apply time for money but over 17 years because she's written other books she said the income on that book has proved huge and it's sold in different territories as her as her career has built so if she'd have judged it at, 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 in year one and said oh you know I'm barely earning more than the average author I might as well just go to McDonald's and flip burgers then that would have been an error and that's an error that I have made as well she said what she said is, is she was just illustrating um, that if you look at her the number of years she's been writing now and divide the income she's made and then spread that income over the years she's been writing she would be 
of earning a huge amount of income for every year that she's ever written. So the point she was making is you can't apply those principles. You can't say, oh, I only made $1,000 this year. I'm a failing author. Because if you continue writing and improving your craft, and then you have that breakthrough moment when people start to buy your books and maybe, you know, your, your kind of writing ability, your idea for a book, the market, everything comes to and you start to make money from your books. She says you then make more money than you would ever make in a day job retrospectively so she you know she's i think i think she's a multi-million pound author so and say she's you know say, say she made two million pounds in her career say she made two million pounds and she was she's been writing for 20 years and like 13 of those years she was making no money at all but in seven of those years is when she earned the bulk of that income if you divide uh, two billion pounds between 20 years i've just i've could I do the arithmetic? Two million share 20 equals. That's a hundred thousand pounds a year. But at the beginning of that career, you were maybe earning a thousand pounds a year, two thousand pounds a year, which you'd have been fairly depressed about. So I think that's a really good money mindset. Do not get caught up in time for money. Every book becomes an asset that could earn over time. And I mean, I have always said this to you that, you know, the minute if I ever write a book, that fires and flies, whether it be traditionally published at the end or one that I write, that back catalogue is all selling. <laughs> the people, readers who discover you are going to be all over that back catalogue. And all that effort you put into those books, they're going to be all over it. So, you know, I've always, I've always realised that. I just It's just taken me a long time to write the book that flies. <laughs> that's, that's the pain point. So, I mean, even in my small way, I can bear that out because... In my in my best year was it 2020 or 2021 I can't remember which year it was which kind of financial year it was I earned more gross in my best year than I've ever earned in my working life it, it just one year and I haven't been able to keep it up but you know that is my sort of success inverted commas to date I've managed to do that in writing I've managed to generate more income in one year than I ever earned in my working life that's gross but also remember that your salary is gross if you earn a thousand pounds per month that isn't money in your pocket because as you know you know it'll go on the bills it'll go shooting out on the bills and you might only have 10 pound left at the end of the month okay so we have to do it on on, on gross earnings rather than net earnings so gross you know i i, I in, in a very in my own small way i i bear out that philosophy so I thought that was great. The other thing that Sophie was talking about was bad reviews. She did a lovely sequence on on bad reviews. And, and I went to look at her. Uh, she, she was talking about her most popular books that um, that sell, have sold, you know, millions of copies all over the world in loads of territories. And I had a look at, and she said, um, you know, chalk and cheese. Some people love me. Some people hate me. Some people don't care about me. She put it into the context that I was doing with that one star review that I read of mine this week. And, and she said, you know, and regardless of that, she still sells all those books and makes a fortune from them. So, you know, one bad review, uh, you know, can't, can't really, can't really hurt you. Uh, but it was, she did an excellent sequence on reviews and, um, you know, which basically said, don't, you know, don't worry about your reviews so long as they're bad reviews in the context of, of many good ones. If every review is, is bad, then you've probably got something to look at. Or if, if lots of reviews have the same theme, 
you know badly edited or terrible cover or whatever it is then you probably need to look at that but if they're just trolley reviews you know individual opinion thought this was rubbish nothing you can do about it you know there's no guidance in there as to what you can improve just got to let them go has to be water off a duck's duck's back so yeah uh, i get a lot of value out of um the sophie's um dream author academy um I've, I've got loads of content to catch up on i you know, barely keep up with the weekly webinars she does a lot of work for it but it is, it is very interesting and she spends a lot of time doing some very interesting stuff on on author mindset so yeah it's been it's been a good purchase for me i'm pleased i joined that let's move on to this week's links to share section then and i've got two links related to the historical background of my new trilogy now we're slightly out of sync here if you listen to this week's author sort of diary that I've written about my writing I mentioned that I had to do a little bit of research while I was writing to just check some facts and get into the historical zone when I was writing one of my 1970s sequences and I did say that I would share these links on the show notes so um, the theme or the the overarching theme of this series of psychological thrillers is about uh, young girls young women who were pregnant out of wedlock in the 60s and 70s in this in this country in the UK and they forcefully had their babies adopted that's uh, it's a big sort of scandal it's been it was huge in Ireland as well and I've taken that as the central theme for this um, sequence of trilogies that I'm doing and so I've obviously researched I'm obviously aware of it anyway because I uh, my taxi driver when I was at the BBC uh, this happened to her and she talked to me about it in the taxi when she was driving me into work and I ended up recording with her so it's something that's very kind of close to my heart I've got personal experience knowing somebody who was involved in this um, which is why I wanted to use it as a theme so I, I, if you want to just get a sense of, of what went on and why this is such a great you know subject for a psychological thriller I've put two links on the show notes this week uh, but mainly they're for people who listen to my author diary at the end uh, Dave Chesson this week shared the Atticus roadmap in detail and I just wanted to mention a couple of things because they relate to things I'd said to you before one of the reasons I'd said that I like vellum is because it's so easy to create box sets well on the Atticus roadmap this week uh, Dave has said that they're looking at quick and easy box set creation that's going to be a real game changer with Atticus uh, you know that's that's really putting vellum under some pressure if they if they can do box sets as easily as you can in vellum i mean they're, they're just a joy in vellum um but yeah quick and easy box set creation and collaborations are coming in atticus as well so i think you know both of those are are game changers and when i was reading that i was thinking you know i keep veering between uh what's it called live not living agent is it living writer living writer um and, and and atticus i keep swaying between the two because i'm so unsure which one to go for i'm just stuck in scrivener at the moment but i was wondering whether i should try writing book three of my trilogy in atticus and just putting it through its paces with a with a real book because i could always i could always if it's not working for me i'm having problems with it i could always just you know dump it as a word document and then bring it back into scrivener and pick up in scrivener again so looking at that roadmap I was thinking oh you know that is you know you're making it very hard Dave you're doing a really good job of adding features to this I also like Dave's um word count and word monitoring in in Atticus that that's very good as well it's pretty good in Living Writer as well uh, but I do like to cut you know watch my word counts and things like that and Dave's is very flexible so that's another if you, if you were marking this as a tennis score 
a tennis game between three people, Scrivener, Living Writer and Atticus. Uh, I I don't know who's winning at the moment. I'm really just stuck on this. So, you know, the the huge advantage of Atticus is I paid for it, whereas Living Writer is a subscription. So I, I don't know. I'm so stuck on this. I don't know what to do with my writing software at the moment. I just, all I can do is just keep watching, keep my ear to the ground. And at some point I'll probably make a choice and I'll jump, jump in one direction. I wanted to mention this week, uh, the Society of Authors, uh, which is a, I think it's a, yeah, it's a UK organization, but I don't think you have to be in the UK to join it. I don't know, don't know the details. I was a member of the Society of Authors for a year. Uh, I think I joined, I did a talk for them in Manchester um, and yeah, and I, I joined it for a year, but I felt it was something that I didn't need to be a member of. In many respects, it gives the kind of support for traditional authors that um, the Alliance of Independent Authors does for us. So I, I felt that it was more geared towards traditional authors, and I, I'm not one of them. But if I was, I joined the Society of Authors. Um, but they, they uh, provide a tremendous amount of information, just like the Alliance of Independent Authors does. And this week they have invited me, I'm just on their mailing list, they've got two workshops which I've signed up for. And um, I think as far as I can see, you don't have to be a member to uh, to sign up for these. So I thought I'd just mention them to you because they're free as far as I can tell. Now they're, they're geared to GMT. So if you're elsewhere in the world, these times might not be convenient for you. But the first one is on the 21st of February. It's a Canva workshop showing you how to use Canva in your business. And that runs from 10 till 11.30 GMT. And then the one the week after, I know will be of interest to many of you who listen to the podcast because of the genre you write in. It's an inside look at how murders are really investigated. Now, this is UK centric, remember, um, but it's on the 28th of February from 10 till 11.30. Now, what I've done is I've put the links on the show notes at selfpublishingjourneys.com. Just a word of advice, because it's not very intuitive. If you register for either of those webinars, there's no sort of like button that says register here or anything like that. What you need to do is you click on the going button. And if you click on the glowing, the going button, the registration form comes up. So I didn't think that was very intuitive, but that's how you register for those. Oh, I'm back to Dave Chesson again. I should have put this next to the Atticus section, but I got this in a separate email. Um, Dave's done a couple of blog posts this week. They're always immense value. And you know, I'm going to start sharing more of these links that I get because there's so much good stuff on these. Um, on the kindlepreneur.com blog, he's got two articles which he shared this week, and they were really good. How to write a book with good book titles and write a book description. So these are we all know that you can pay as much as you want for Facebook ads or Amazon ads or BookBub ads. If you have a Amazon page that doesn't convert because the cover's bad, the title of your book's rubbish, because your blurb is, your book description is is hopeless, uh, you're not going to sell the book. So people might click through from your advert, but they're not going to buy the book. So these are really important things. Those blog posts are very good. I mean, you know, Dave's just produces some great content, doesn't he, for authors. Um, well worth a read. So I've put the links to those on this week's show notes. And I'm going to start calling this Password Manager Gate, I think, because oh, I feel with password managers like I feel about writing software. Now, writing software is more positive because my dilemma with writing software is I'm spoiled for choice. I, you know, I've got three softwares that I'm considering, and there are probably more than three softwares that are great. I'm just trying to decide which of three great softwares I'm going to choose. So that's a, a very positive thing. 
with password managers, the news isn't so good. I mean, I'm completely confused. I'm so confused by password managers at the moment, I'm tempted to just scribble them down on scraps of paper and hide them under the mattress. It feels like it might be more secure. So I've been a, I've been a LastPass user for years. You've heard me saying on this podcast that there's a whole hoo-ha at the moment because there was a data breach. LastPass didn't handle it very well. There's all sorts of questions about are the people who hacked the data going to be able to access your passwords, recommendations that you change all of your passwords. So, so we all go reading around and it looks like Bitwarden is a very good alternative, but Bitwarden's been hacked as well. And there's problems with Bitwarden, we find out. So I, I really, I just, I don't know what to do. I'm kind of stuck with passwords at the moment. What, what I'm tempted to do, I mean, I, what I have already done, I should say, is I've, um, all of my passwords, all of my passwords in LastPass have a second level of authentication. So, the, the, and I also have, um, what is it called? Biometrics on my phone and I have, I use Authy. You can't get into my password manager without using Authy. So I'm hoping that those levels of protection are good enough. But what, I, what I'm minded to do at the moment because I'm so confused by the whole thing is to just go through all my minor kind of passwords in, in LastPass. So I've done all my serious ones like my bank and things like that, they're all changed anything that could hurt me but I, I what i think i'm going to do for the time being as a holding position is go through all my passwords make sure they're changed even things that don't you know massively matter like a blog login or something like that you know um something that i could fix or isn't going to cause any damage um they're not going to get any private data or anything i think i'm going to change those in 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 last pass so everything is changed and just probably wait and see but I've shared two more, <laughs> two more articles this week. One about the problem with Bitwarden, which is what I was going to change to, and another one about LastPass. How there's a, you know, well, actually, it's not about LastPass specifically. It's about how passwordless authentication is something you should consider. So I'll just share those if you're interested. If you've got caught up in this data breach, but my goodness, what a nuisance! You know, I really don't know. I'm really not quite sure what to do at the moment. Now, I know you can use there's something called YubiKey, which is a, a real kind of next level security, but I, I don't really want to get into YubiKey because, you know, I work on different PCs and it's going to be a nuisance. Something like LastPass is, is, is just works really well for me. So it's going to need to be something like that. But um, we know with all the convenience that it brings and the ability to, to log on to any computer and access it, that's really important to me. But um, yeah, I'm just going to have to keep watching this. And if I see any new information or guidance, I'll share it with you on the show notes. But there's two articles. I think there might be a third that I want to add on there. So look out for the password manager articles in the show notes this week. I just wanted to thank everybody for their continuing support at buymeacoffee.com forward slash Paul Teague. Uh, this is my sort of favorite system, really, of showing support for the podcast. And, and several of you have, have done that. Thank you very much. I always appreciate it. It's always a lovely surprise when you get a little email saying, you know, uh, such and such has bought you so many coffees. So thank you very much for that. I do like Buy Me A Coffee much more than uh, Patreon, because if, you know, my view is... Uh, I do this all the time and I'm listening to podcasts. I hear something and I'm so sort of grateful for it. I think that is such a good bit of information. And then I want to jump on You know, often with Joanna Penn, I, I do this and I want to jump on and, and you know, but do the equivalent of buy a coffee to say just, you know, thank you. That was great. And, um, and, and then when you have Patreon, I think well, I don't want to do monthly. I don't want to do monthly. I just want to say thank you for that thing. I want to sort of express gratitude on a one-time basis. 
and that's why I don't like Patreon because you're kind of signing your life away. And so I do like buying me a coffee. So I just want to thank everybody who's uh, contributed since the podcast came back. Thank you very much for that. It's always very much appreciated. Uh, Tarina Adams uh, uh, bought me several coffees this week. Thank you very much, Tarina. Uh, Tarina, we've spoken before, I'm sure. Tarina says, hi, Paul, finding great value in the writing episodes at the end. I like to hear how people write. Sometimes they may mention something that I find of great value and incorporate into, into my own routine. And, you, you know, that's exactly the reason that I do this podcast. It's not because I'm setting myself up as any kind of guru. It's literally just to share what I do, what works and what doesn't in the hope that you can pick from it. And some of it might work for you. Some of it might give you ideas. You know, it just might help. Uh, definitely not setting myself up as somebody who knows all this stuff because I definitely don't. But if you can pick up stuff that's useful to you, fantastic. That's the whole kind of point of doing this podcast. Tarina says, so impressed with your word count per hour. My brain doesn't work that fast. Unfortunately, I wish it did. Maybe it will come with practice. And um, I think I said this in last week's podcast. Uh, I might have said it in the writing diary. You know, just remember, I come from a radio background. I was always working on deadlines, very tight deadlines. Uh, you know, so I've had practice at this, remember. So don't beat yourself up if you're not hitting the same number of words that I am. I've done this over a career, you know, writing under pressure. So that's why I can hit that word count. Don't beat yourself up because you can't do it. There are people who write way more words than I do uh, as well. You know, we're all where we are in the race, basically. It's not even a race. You know, we are where we are and just work with what you've got. So um, Tarina says she started dictating to try and uh, increase the speed and the word count. But she tends to delete everything she dictates, then types it again because it comes out at a, at a low quality. The quality of a five-year-old, she says. I'm sure it's not that bad, Tarina. Uh, but she's, she's found that works really well because she doesn't sit down to a blank page. Uh, every chapter is filled with dictated nonsense that nonetheless I find acts as a writing prompt and it gets me into the flow of writing much easier. I also dictate while walking my dog every day so it doesn't take up my writing time. So, um, you, you know, so we all, you know, we all come to it in our own way. We've all got to find our own way into it by sharing stuff you might prompt something uh, in somebody else that helps them with their writing process so Tarina goes on to say regarding your diarized writing process I've been thinking that I may do the same for myself for me personally not to share it's a brilliant way of recording and therefore analyzing and learning a great deal about your own writing processes you know what to delete what to optimize and so on so thank you very much for that Tarina thank you very much for the coffees I appreciate that and Julie Stock who, uh, Julie if you remember uh, was is a long-term friend of the podcast I had the pleasure of meeting Julie in Carlisle while she was passing by on a holiday we stopped off and had a coffee together in Carlisle which was great um, Julie also edited my non-fiction books as well uh, all four of them if I remember correctly Julie so thank you for that uh, and Julie uh, was on buy me a coffee thank you very much Julie very much appreciated and said it's great to be listening to the podcast again Paul thank you for all the tips so great to hear from you again this week Julie as well so thank you very much that's very much appreciated and we finish off this week with high, uh, healthy author updates to just bring you up to date with the running. So if you, if, you, if you don't want to hear about the running, now's the time to switch off. These are my weekly healthy author updates. So on Saturday, Park Run was cancelled. Yep, cancelled because of the ice. We had loads of ice in our area. Uh, in fact, across the country, loads of them were cancelled because it was too, uh, you know, deemed too unsafe to run. Uh, at my local Park Run, we run on asphalt park, uh, paths. They're very slippery. Uh, those people who tend to run on sort of fields and things like that it's better because you can get traction so anyhow we were we were cancelled on Saturday normally 
there's a couple more locally that I could drive to. And um, the next one, the next nearest one was also cancelled. And I could have got to another one. But what I decided to do, because I had those uh, 4,000 words to write for the secret project, and a very rare, very rare one-off for me, I didn't run on Saturday. I didn't part run on Saturday. What I decided to do was to write, to do those 4,000 words, which I did on Saturday, then I edited them on the Sunday. I can re remember what I did now. Um, I, I decided to write fresh because my, my wife was doing one of her um, working sessions on Saturday. She works one Saturday morning in every three. Um, so because she was at work that day, I thought, right, I'm not gonna part run today. I'm not gonna chase a part run that's open. I'm gonna write. I did my writing which I finished took me longer because it was uh, you know, chal a challenging thing to do. And so I finished probably about one o'clock and then I went for a 5K run on the treadmill. So I, I did a run, but I did it on the treadmill this week. And this is what I said right at the beginning. You know, I, I sometimes break my own rules because it works better. You know, I'm not so slavish. I am a man of routine, but I'm not so slavish to my routine that I don't break the rules sometimes when it's more expedient to do so. So that's the first time in a long, 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 long time that I have voluntarily not run a part run. So, uh, you know, that's quite a momentous occasion for me, but I still got the 5K running. Now, I was due to do a 10K run around the back lanes of Carlisle on Sunday. It was a big run. There were hundreds of runners there. They did a 5K, they did a kids 5K, well, you know, a teenager's 5K, a adult's 5K, and an adult's 10K, and I was in the 10K. And I did this last year, it's a nice run, it starts off from Carlisle Racecourse, and goes all around the country lanes, really nice. Um, I didn't know whether that would go ahead, I had, a, you know, because it had been so cold, I thought those back lanes, they must be icy and all, all you know, all, deadly to run on. But, um, and I was, I was so, I was kind of waiting for them to announce, half expecting them to announce that it was not going to happen. And I thought, all right, that if, if it doesn't happen, I'll go to the nature reserve in the week and do a 10k there just to make it up. And I, I left it really late, and I was so late to get my registration. You, you, when you do these races, you have to go and you register and you get a number. I was so late. I was among the last group of people who got told off for leaving it to the last minute. They were literally packing the race numbers away in a box and getting ready to do the safety briefing when I turned up. That's how late I was. And I last minuted it. And I was in the group that got told off for being late. It's a long term since I've been told off for being late for anything. So anyhow, I did do it by the skin of my teeth. And I had a nice 10K run. Um, and, I, and again, I wasn't, I wasn't going to do it. I was going to chicken out. And, and I did it and I enjoyed it. I loved it and it was great. And I've got another one, another 10K next week. So um, so uh, 5K on the treadmill at the weekend, 10K running, and I've done two treadmill runs in the garage this week. So since I last spoke to you, I've done, is that 25K, 10? Yeah, 25K. I've run 25K since I last spoke to you last week, which I'm sort of happy with. Um, I'll run in the treadmill in the garage until the weather improves and then I'll start, I'll either join the, the run club in the evenings, which I'll probably do, uh, or I'll I'll sort of run round locally and, and do a 5K. I'll, I'll mix it up, but the treadmill is just great having that in the garage for when the weather's terrible. Um, and it wasn't so cold in the garage this week either, which is great. So um, same as usual, park run tomorrow. I'm going to the Nature Reserve, I think on Sunday. I do have another option with the run club on Sunday. They do a social run too. So not quite sure what I'm doing on Sunday, but probably the Nature Reserve on Sunday. And then a couple more treadmill runs during the week. And the other thing I'm just about to start to do is uh, I want to do more general exercise than just running. So I'm gonna look at some weights and kind of stretchy stuff. Um, and I've got a 
mats ordered from Amazon so that I could do this upstairs in the bedroom. Uh, got plenty of room in the bedroom to you know to put an exercise mat. So I don't want to wear the carpet out. So I've um, got uh, an exercise mat coming. I've got I've downloaded a couple of apps on my phone and I want to come up with a sort of general exercise routine too. And I was trying to work out where I could fit that because running's great, but it only exercises certain bits of you. And um, I wanted to do some all round exercise. I want to exercise arms. You know, like to get rid of a bit of a uh, bit of belly because uh, the running doesn't do that. And um, so I, I wanted to do some general exercise and I've, I've, I've been procrastinating about it mainly because I've been trying to work out how I could fit it into a routine to make sure it gets done. Um, you know, I want to, if it's routinized, if it's diaried, it'll get done. And while I was showering this morning, I had a moment, one of my moments of revelation, which is just the best time for me to do it is immediately after I finish writing on Mondays and Wednesdays. So on Tuesdays, when I f finished writing, I'm on the treadmill. Um, that's one of my treadmill days. But on Monday and Wednesday, uh, you know, usually I just go into playing around with stuff. And I thought, no, that's a nice set point. Finish writing, half an hour exercise, doing sort of weights and stuff like that, and then and then carry on with other stuff. So I'm going to try that. Well, from as soon as this exercise mat arrives and I figure out uh, the routine, I'm going to get to doing some more general exercise. So it's the sort of thing you might do in a gym. One of the things we had considered was I got to get rid of some boxes because when, when we when we did all our stuff in Spain, we sorted through, we got rid of loads of stuff. We sorted through loads of stuff and um, I've got loads of stuff in boxes in the garage at the moment, that stuff I don't need to get out. Now, I could, you know, it's not, I'm not going to stick it in the loft. It's just in the garage at the moment, but it's kind of, that's in a pending pile. So it, it might go in, a, in the loft and then I might make room for a sort of multi-gym thing. That's what we were thinking of. So I'm, that's in the pending pile. But I thought that's try and get an exercise of doing, sorry, let's try and get a routine of doing some general exercise. And if I keep that up over any length of time, if I can sustain that, then maybe I'll look at getting a bit of kit in the garage. Um, you know, if, if I don't want to buy, I don't, they, what's it called? All the gear and no idea, they call it, you know, which is people who start a hobby, they buy all the equipment for it, and then they don't keep it up. And the best example of that is an exercise bike that you end up hanging all the washing on when you're ironing. That's that, you know, so I, I don't want to buy the gear and end up having it gathering dust because I'm not using it. So I'm starting with stuff that doesn't cost anything at the moment, uh, just just an exercise mat so I don't wear out the carpet. And um, and then if I keep it up, I might look at getting something in the garage, some, some sort of gym gear in the garage, but but we'll see. But that's part of my healthy author, you know, that uh, I'm running, obviously doing aerobic exercise, uh, That that's great for heart and blood pressure, all those sorts of things. But for a while, I've been very aware that I need to actually do more general exercise as well. That doesn't exercise everything you need to exercise. And, and this is an attempt to start to find a solution towards that. Okay, there we are. That's it for this week's podcast. Just a reminder that if you keep listening, this week's writing diary is coming up next. But that is it for this week's show. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you have a great week of writing. From me, Paul Teague, it's bye for now. If you've ever found this podcast helpful, you can now support my work by buying me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash Paul Teague. Maybe I've saved you some time by sharing a new resource, perhaps I passed some information on that you weren't aware of, or you may just like catching up with another author who's doing what you're trying to do and checking in on a regular basis. I prefer to use Buy Me A Coffee because unlike Patreon, you don't have to sign your life away to show your support for the podcast. 
You can make small one-time contributions, the price of a cup of coffee, or you can support monthly or even annually. The choice is yours and you can make one-off donations at any level you choose. So if you want to support the future development of this show, head over to buymeacoffee.com forward slash Paul Teague. And thank you very much in advance for your help in keeping this particular show on the road. Ever get that Groundhog Day feeling? (laughs) It's 8.37 on Monday morning and it's time to get writing again. Now, I'll explain this in the podcast diary in the main episode, but I've spent the weekend doing some writing actually for a special project. I've done 4,000 words and edited them over the weekend. So in actual fact, over the course of the past week, I've written about 19,000 words, in between 19 and 20,000 words. And so I don't really feel like I've had a proper break actually over the weekend, but I'm straight back to it this Monday. Uh, The 4,000 words was for a different project, by the way. So my mind has been elsewhere on something completely different. And then here I am back to my Her Last Cry second series of a trilogy. And I've got to get my head back in the zone. First thing on Monday morning, my wife has gone to work as ever. I think I was saying this to you last week. I don't really feel like it. I'd rather just have a little play around for an hour or two before I get going. But the advantage of starting early is I'll be finished early and have the rest of the day. So I am going to get my head down. I've got my scene notes in front of me. I did actually go through the scene notes yesterday evening just to make sure I was ready to go. I had to just flesh them out a little bit. And again, mainly that was because it's a Monday morning. I knew I, there would be a lot of resistance on a Monday morning. So I've just given myself a little bit more detail than there was in the original notes, just to make it easier for me to write. If you were listening last week, you'll know that I'm pretty well on my word target at the moment, which is I'm just over 20,000 words. So roughly speaking, each chapter today needs to be 1,666 words. I'm aiming to write 5,000 words today. So rather than be writing shorter, as I did last week, I've actually got to write the proper number of words this week to keep on my target. So deep breath, it's still semi-dark outside. The ice has gone at least. Let's get on with it and see if we can get into the zone today. I was still writing about three to four minutes after my online timer went off, so I went over my time today. Having said that, I've written more words than I need to, so my target within that hour was 1,666 words. I've actually written 1,798 words. Now, in spite of that, That was slow writing for me. I had to think a lot about what was happening, what I was doing, how I was going to keep it going, and how I was going to wrap that chapter up. So I would describe that as a a difficult chapter, and that it didn't just uh, write itself. It didn't flow freely. I had to pause frequently to to think about it. Now, the chapter's absolutely fine. It's it's okay. It ends on a very, very strong uh, plot beat, But in terms of what happened and how I kind of paced it, I felt like I had to work quite a lot on that chapter. But I still fitted it in pretty well within the writing time that I've got. Now, I started obviously a few minutes early because as I'm recording this, it's 9.45. I scheduled myself to start writing at 8.45 today. So that's an hour. What I'm going to do now is I'm, I'm gasping for a cup of tea. I still don't really feel like I've warmed up, even though I've just written just short of 1,800 words. I feel like I'm slow and it's a bit sticky today and I can't get going. So I'm hoping the next chapter will be easy. It's quite an action-packed chapter, the next one. I know exactly what's happening to that. So I'm going to go and make a cup of tea now. I'm going to have a quarter of an hour break. Then I'll come back to it and get on with the second chapter.
I'm a little late getting uh, back to the writing. It's 10 o'clock now, so I'll start at about five minutes past 10. I've got a glass of water and a cup of tea. I've been a little wander around <laughs> looking out in the garden and things like that. I, I'm uh, struggling to get going today, which is interesting, but I still uh, keep going at it. You know, I, I know I'll be able to get the writing done, uh, but in terms of resistance, there's a lot of resistance today. I'd much rather be playing around on the internet and just doing silly stuff. But, um, you know, as I say, you, you have to just keep pushing through it, even though you've got that inertia. I know what's happening in the next chapter. And by the time I've got the next chapter done, we're, we're almost there for the day. And, and the other thing is, is that while you're writing, you're so involved in your writing you're not there thinking oh you know I want to go off and, and do something different as soon as I start writing the chapter I'm, I'm in the zone and before I know it the hour's up so I've just done this so many times now that even though I don't particularly feel like it if I just start typing the first words I'll I'll soon have my words done and we'll be done for the day so that's what I'm going to do now fueled by tea oh and half a banana by the way fueled by tea and half a banana I'm going to get on and see if we can get this next chapter written it's 11.16 again. I wrote about five minutes over my time. The time has gone off a little while ago, but I've written 1,816 words just then. So I'm over my limit. 1,798 in the first session, 1,816 in the second session, which means I'm over my target. So I'm going to do a bit of arithmetic before I start writing next time and just work out what I'm aiming for in the final chapter of today. The writing is coming slowly and, and more difficult today. It's not really flowing. What I've written is fine. The story is there. I know what the story is, but it doesn't feel like it, it's flowing from me today. It's feeling difficult. And I also had to do just a little bit of research during that session because I needed to know which estate the protagonists or one of the protagonists' uh, boyfriends lives on. And, and, and it was a little trip down memory lane for me because... I've got them going to this estate called Gypsyville, which I'd completely forgotten about. It's really nice doing these books, actually, because uh, Gypsyville Estate is somewhere, if I remember correctly, pretty sure I did a royal commentary there once. I'm pretty sure that the then Prince Charles visited the Gypsyville Estate and I was there with the radio car doing commentary. And <laughs> what I remember about it was, I'm sure it was Gypsyville where this scene is set. What I remember about it is is when you do royal commentary, you have to, you're talking to the people back at the radio stations. So they'd always come in out, you know, fade the record and come to me now. And, and Prince Charles, I kept thinking he was coming out and then he'd go back in and talk to somebody else. So they kept having to stop the programme and hand over to me. And I'd just say, oh, no, no, he's back in there again. False alarm. That's what I remember about uh, that event. But I'm pretty sure that was Gypsyville. Anyhow, that, that's just a by the by a little memory. But I've decided to make the scene happened on an estate in Hull called Gypsyville today. So I had a little bit of a diversion in the middle of that, just while I was trying to figure out where they were going to be. The other thing is I can't remember whether I've given names to this character's parents or not. So um, again, just as a little tip to you, I can't remember. I'm not going to look back. So what I did is I've just got XXX for one character and YYY for the other character. That meant I could keep writing without checking. And when I finish today, I'll just read back a little bit and, and find out whether I gave these characters names this is something I do quite often I think I've said this in the diaries that when I'm when you're writing sometimes you need a minor character just to have a name it's just a throwaway name and usually I pick some 
name that I've already used or, you know, is very similar to a, another name. And I'm terrible at remembering minor character names. So the easiest way is to just get on with the writing and just use something like XXXYYY. I could then do a search for it, find out where I need to fill in the names and do the research after I finished writing. So I'm not going to do that now. I'm just going to leave that as it is now. I'm going to have a short break. Then I'll come to the last chapter and that'll be it for this Monday. Really sort of struggling today. Not not with the writing, I'm getting the word count done, but it just doesn't feel like it's flowing or coming easily today. But I'm just taking that as as a Monday morning factor and, and the writing has to get done. So you've got to push through it. This final chapter of the day could be as few as 1,386 words. I've done my mathematics, taken my target words of 5,000, removed the number of words I've done already. And so I could write this as quite a short chapter if I want to. It's 11.27 now. I always target to finish at 12.30. But if I'm finished by one, that's fine. I'll have a bit of lunch then and then get on with the afternoon. I've got my notes in front of me, so I'm all ready to write this scene. I think this one probably can be quite a short scene there's not too much in it the last scene which I didn't tell you was an action scene it was a, a, a fight scene a confrontation scene whereas this one is just tick 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 just moving the sort of psychological thriller the tension on and just investigating a new lead that they've just got so it'll be fairly straightforward to write I think uh, but yes it should be a fairly short one so I hope to come in nicely on my word limit today so we're not going to overshoot by too much. I've had the other half of my banana. I'm not going to have a cup of tea now. I'll have a cup of tea after as a celebration and uh, I also cut off a slice of cheese (laughs) to keep me going. I'm desperately trying not to snack on biscuits and things like that so that's going to have to fuel me until I go and get my midday snack, my midday meal. So I've got an hour to go and then I've got the rest of the day in freedom to do as I please. So I'm going to get on with it now. Let's go and crack this nut and get this writing done. Phew, that's it. Done for today. Written over 5,000 words. So the word count on that chapter was 1613, which means I've slightly overwritten today, but within a completely reasonable margin of error. I've just totted up the numbers, and I reckon I'm 227 words over by word count today, which is fine. It's neither here nor there. So long as I don't let that creep upwards, so long as I write tightly tomorrow, that will be fine. Now, in that final writing session, I think I've finally warmed up and got going. I've got 50 seconds to go until I finish that one hour timed slot. So uh, that feels good. Uh, It was harder work today. Uh, You know, the writing got done. I do the writing. It's almost like uh, they call it memory muscle, I think, isn't it? It's like when you ride a bike or drive a car that you just know what you're doing and you you sit down, you get on your bike and you just get on and do it. That's how I feel about writing a lot of the time. And this is why I find a huge benefit to knowing what I'm going to write each day by having those notes, because I think if I was coming to a completely blank page with not an idea of where that chapter was going I think I'd really struggle but because I know what's got to be in that chapter I generally just start with a sentence or somebody doing something and and off we go I I kind of carry on writing from there so I'm really pleased that that's done here's the time up there we go that's my that's my hour up it's now 12.33 so I started the clock just after 12.30 what I'm going to do now is get a cup of tea and something to eat 
and then I'll probably eat at my desk and I'll probably just change some names. I've done a couple of things. I told you last time that I just got somebody's uh, names wrong. I couldn't remember whether I'd given them names and I just recorded them as XXXYYY. And I just realised as I was writing that chapter that the name that I've given on the spot to somebody's son, and they're not going to be crucial to the plot. They're just a very sort of secondary character. Uh, they're barely going to appear again in the book. Uh, I've given a wrong name. I've given them the name of the protagonist's brother, <laughs> which is going to get me in a fix later on. So I need to come up with another name. I'm terrible with names. You get the right old fix with names. So anyhow, I'll fix that name, but I'll do that when I've got a snack to eat and then I'm done for the day. So I would guess that by the time I've got a cup of tea and some food, I'll be done by one o'clock and the rest of the day is clear. Now tomorrow, if you remember, is Tuesday and Tuesdays are not my favourite writing days because I start writing at about midday uh, my wife works only in the afternoon on a Tuesday so it's not my favourite writing day but I hope that I'll have got going for the week by then and that the writing will be a little easier than it was today <laughs> who's ready to do it all over again then <laughs> it's Tuesday morning already and it's uh, what's the time it's 11:35. my wife went to work about 10 minutes ago so I've just made a cup of tea and uh, got my computer ready to write and I'm just looking through the notes for the day Last night, after I'd finished, I sorted out the names. I said last night that I'd had some problems with names, so I've tidied all of those up now and uh, fixed them. And uh, today's writing actually looks like it's going to be straightforward. I'm up for it today. Isn't that interesting? Because I think the last thing I said to you last night was, I don't really like writing at this time of day. But actually, we had a bit of a line today. <laughs> I won't tell you how long we laid in. And, um, and so I'm completely refreshed today. I just needed a bit of a line, I think. And uh, so I'm at, I'm at my desk at 11.35 and I feel kind of fresh and raring to go. But also these chapters are straightforward today. I'm, I'm in the swing of the story. And actually these are the sorts of chapters that will write themselves. They're what I would call uh, easy chapters. But uh, I say they're easy. You know, they have to hit all the points and all the usual bits and pieces. But in terms of the drama in them, they just kind of take care of themselves. So in this chapter I'm about to write, the protagonist is right in the middle of a case that's not going very well and her kids are coming to visit she's estranged from her husband and she's just found out they're coming 24 hours early and she's got to get sleeping bags and blow-ups and things for them because the house which she's only just recently moved into as it's a new job is just completely unprepared for a visit so this is just going to create domestic tension for her while she's in the middle of this huge policing case as well and got stresses coming from left right and center so um this is just a kind of fun scene and interestingly while i was sharing this morning i just thought of a little extra bit to add to it that will give it more resonance you'll remember i've written the end of this story already it'll just give it a little bit more resonance if i build this little thread in so that came to me in the shower this morning it's an easy easy change easy easy plot uh, switch but I just want her to be accompanied by another character so we get to know this character a little bit better so that uh, you're all primed as a reader for the, the end of the book and what happens at the end of the book. So, yeah, in complete contrast to yesterday, I'm ready to go today. I've got my tea. Uh, I'm all primed. Um, I'm going to get on with it and I'll let you know how it goes. And there we are. That's the first chapter written for today. It's time for lunch now. I'm peckish. Now, I went about three to four minutes over my buzzer time so the peep has already gone to say that my hour's up so that was about an hour and four of writing but I have actually well overwritten my word limit 
So as you know, well, actually, I calculated my word limit yesterday. I should be writing at least 1,576 words per chapter today. But in actual fact, that chapter was 1,783 words. So again, I've overwritten. I'll try and just peg it back with the the next two chapters. There's quite a lot of information to get over in that chapter. It was, uh, I I don't know what you'd call it, it was a, a sort of a transition chapter in that Although there was lots of activity within the chapter, uh, there wasn't like a you know a chase scene or anything like that. It was literally just making some things happen that set up the story for the next part of the book. So she's got her children coming to stay. I did it just to smooth things over with somebody that she's met in Hull. Just a couple of little things and just a few updates with the case, really just to keep the, the book ticking along. So this is chapter 14. It will take that at this stage. And then I've got quite a strong emotional scene uh, coming up next. So I, I don't worry about that. But, um, you know, there was lots of dialogue Uh, Lots of things happening. I think it was an interesting chapter, but it wasn't kind of action based around the core plot. Anyhow, 1,783 words. I'm going to take a, well, 15, 20 minute break now, and then I'll get back to the second chapter of the day. But that came okay. Oh, something I've got to mention to you is I I slept funny last night and my right arm is really quite uncomfortable and stiff today. Now, that's nothing to do with writing. It's just to do with how I was laying, I think, first thing in the morning. And I, I thought that having a shower and kind of just, you know, getting dressed and moving it around might sort it out. But it's actually quite sore as I'm writing here today. So I've also got to take a couple of paracetamol and see if that sorts it out. Because it's a bit of a nuisance, but it's not a deal breaker today. I'm going all out for the tea today. I've got another cup of tea here. I'll probably regret it later. But anyhow, second cup of tea of the day. I also found some nice little picky nuts in the cupboard. I've had some food now. I've got something to pick. I've got a cup of tea here and I'm ready to do the next chapter. I've just done some arithmetic and because I overwrote quite a lot on that chapter by about 200 words, I'm now aiming for about 1,472 words per chapter. So once again, I will try and peg it back a little bit. I think I probably launched into it a bit enthusiastically first thing this morning. I have to say, again, in contrast to yesterday, I'm all up for this today. It's absolutely fine. I've taken a paracetamol for my arm, so hopefully that will start to ease um, over the hour that I'm writing. Now, it's not really sort of stopping me from doing anything. It's just really quite um, uncomfortable at the moment. I expect it to pass, but um, I'd rather it pass sooner rather than later. So that's me for the next bit of writing. When I do this writing session, that's me over the halfway point for the week. So that's always a nice little thing to aim for. I'm going to get my head down now and let's see if I can keep it to about 1,472 words this time around. Just finished my words and I've beat the clock again. You'll probably hear it going off before I finish this little update. So I've just written 1,577 words and I just did some arithmetic there. And according to my calculator, the next chapter is 1,640 words. And I'm just trying to get my head around that because I thought I just told you that I needed to do about 1,400 words there. Anyhow... My back of a fag packet arithmetic I think I've got wrong. So I'm aiming for about 1,640 words by the looks of it in the next chapter, which is neither here nor there. It's fine. Now, that chapter was fine. Uh, no problem with the writing or with the action. As I said at the beginning of the day, I thought this would be OK doing the writing today. That chapter was fine. It was one of the 1970s uh, chapters. And I've just dropped a big uh, bombshell in the final sentence, which is where I tend to drop my big bombshells. So that's a nice, big, sort of plot, juicy morsel. Uh, You know, a big kind of clue, although, of course, it will be a a misdirection at the end. But got to keep them coming thick and fast. And after the previous chapter, 
which really was just moving the chess pieces into place. It was just setting up things for later on in the book without any kind of, you know, bombshells or, or, or cliffhangers or pivotal moments. I felt that it needed something very strong in that chapter and it just got it. So trying to work out whether my arm's getting any better. I think it's eased up a little bit after I've finished my last writing session of the day. I'm going to go for a run, so it better sort itself out by then. Um, the other thing is I've, I've drunk my cup of tea, and I think I'm just going to go and make another one. I'm really downing the tea today, but uh, I'll see if there's anything else to drink, but I suspect it's going to be another cup of tea. Now, my timer's just about to go off. There it is. Let me just turn that off so that it doesn't keep beeping. So in the first session, I, I overwrote by about four or five minutes. In this session, I, I underwrote by about a couple of minutes, you know, so... I never get it quite on the hour, but roughly, roughly speaking, I get it. I'm writing to an hour, and you know that's fine. The other thing that did occur to me because I had a note via buy me a coffee today is people always talk about my my writing speed, and I think it's worth just giving that a little bit of context while I remember because what I would say to you is that I'd spent a, a career in in radio. I think that was really where I got this skill from. And in radio, I, I often used to have to write many scripts for radio, live radio programmes at a great rate of knots. I mean, when I started at BBC Radio Humberside in Hull, where this book is based, of course, I started by doing, I used to do a lunchtime programme and I used to do a drive time show. And the lunchtime show was an hour and the drive time show was two hours. So uh, three hours of live radio I, I used to do a day. So I think I used to come in at about 10.30, if I remember correctly, and I would be on the air at one o'clock for an hour to do a live radio show. And it was really, you know, quite stressful. You'd come in, I'd get a briefing, there'd be interviews arranged for me. And I had to make sure I'd pulled everything together, chasing the reporters and doing some of the scripts myself, ready for one o'clock. I'd need to have the headlines ready and we'd go on live at one o'clock. And my goodness, we had some we had some close shaves with that show, I can tell you. And often... I'd sometimes be writing the headlines by hand, uh, you know, like a minute before we, we started the show. And then I, I'd go off, have a bit of lunch, uh, come back for about three, and then we'd do it all over again for five o'clock uh, for a two-hour show. And um, that was the kind of stress I used to love and thrive on when I was in my 30s. It's not so good at my age now, but it was great fun then. And, um, you know, that, that and those that's what I needed to do. You, you don't wait... I call it the pips. If you if you live elsewhere in the world, you don't know what I mean by that. But in the UK, on on BBC Radio, we have a, the things we call the pips that that mark the beginning of an hour. And both of those shows started with the pips on the hour. And I always used to say, you know, nothing waits for the pips. You can't sit there saying I've got writer's block when you've got a show to have on at, at one o'clock and five o'clock. You just have to get on with it. it. Has to be there by hook or by crook. And I think that that's the discipline that made me able to sit down and just write and force it out. You know, a news editor doesn't care that you're not struck by inspiration. You've just simply, you've got to have it ready. And if you've got an hour of radio or two hours of radio to be ready for, you just, you've just got to be ready for it. <laughs> I still have the occasional nightmare about everything going wrong and not being ready for uh, radio shows. You know, so um, I know it's not saving lives or anything like that. And each job has its own stress. But, you know, it could get pretty hairy at sometimes uh, when we were doing that. Now, that that I think is the discipline that means that I can sit down and write, even though I don't often feel inspired to. So what I would say is, you know, we all we all have different jobs. We've all come from different places. Don't 
beat yourself up if you're hearing me do my 1,600, 1,700 words in an hour. What you've got to do is find your own pace. And remember, I had 20 odd years doing this at the BBC, you know, constantly under pressure of deadlines. I'm used to it. You may not be used to it. Your career may have taken you in a completely different path, uh, which maybe didn't even involve writing at all. So what I would say to you is, if you're listening to this and thinking, okay, well, I quite like that model, or I can take something from what you hear me doing here, please don't beat yourself up about the word count because different people have different word counts. You know, I hear uh, you know, people who, who can write more words than me in an hour. I, I don't want to get any kind of limb problems or anything like that from my writing. So I, I've kind of found this balance of what I would say is a productive number of words within the hour, uh, one that I can easily achieve and maintain, but I'm not going to push myself to go for 2,000 or 3,000 words per hour. What I'm writing at the moment is fine. Uh, you know, it means that I can be productive. It means I can get 5,000 words out in a day. And that's the pace I've set for myself. What I would say to you is don't be intimidated by anybody's word count. Just find out what works for you, what makes you productive based on your kind of life experiences that you've had. Don't beat yourself up about it if you struggle to write that many words. And, uh, you know, find find your own rhythm. Find your own way of doing this. Okay, that was quite a long one. Apologies for that. Uh, I'm going to go make that third cup of tea today. It's actually my fourth cup of tea of the day. And then we'll get the last bit of writing done. And I want to go on the treadmill before my wife gets home and I have to get the tea on. So I need to get my skates on now. Final writing session of Tuesday then. Cup of tea is in front of me. And this one is going to be an emotional one. They're going to see one of the girls from the 70s who's now in a hospice so this is a this is an emotional one it's going to be uh, quite a difficult scene to read I think and quite a sad scene so uh, yeah this is in a hospice this one so I don't make life easy for myself do I but uh, you know to get the the kind of the the rhythm of a domestic stroke psychological thriller they're not supposed to be fast all the time so I think it's important to have these elements to give it the sort of depth and breadth that it requires so again fueled by tea it's now 2.35 and I hope to finish this I think probably 3.45 I'm going to cut myself a little bit of slack with this because I think I'm going to need to write just a little bit slower as it's a more difficult scene I need to get the tone of the scene right as well because there are a couple of uh, police officers going I always have a bit of black humour in this as well not not obviously not in the hospice but there'll be black humour around the visit to the hospice as well but uh, it's quite an important scene, this as well, within the book. And uh, this is going to take me through a third of the way through the book now, which is quite exciting. So, uh, you know, that's going to uh, be 30,000 words by the time I finish today, which feels very good. So uh, I need to get this done. I need to get a run in and I need to get the tea in. So I'm going to stop chatting, get writing, stop procrastinating and get on with it. And we're done with... Five, nearly six minutes to spare on the clock. That's my writing done for today. That was much shorter, the chapter that I've just written, but it works perfectly all right that way. And I'm going to continue the chapter in the hospice in the next chapter. I'm just uh, metering out the information that I drop. I've just dropped it on a really powerful piece of information in the last sentence in that chapter. So I wrote 1,377 words 
there. So that's what about uh, 300 words short of what my normal target would be. But I've just calculated everything and it's always different. You know, you always get different word counts. If I export this to Word and then ask for a word count and if I try and tot it up in uh, Scrivener, it's quite hard to get your word counts in Scrivener. You can get an individual chapter, hard to get a whole document word count, particularly as I have notes in my document. But anyhow, as far as I could work out, totting it all up, uh, by my records, I'm up to 30,009 words at the moment. So that's as good as dot on my target because 30,000 word words is the target for today. So that's good. <laughs> it was a good day's writing, as you heard right at the beginning of the day. I was much more up for it today. Uh, that's unusual for me on an afternoon because I normally like to write in the mornings. Tomorrow, on Wednesday, it's another early start. It's quite a, an early start today. My wife has to be in, uh, much earlier tomorrow, so she leaves the house early. So I'll probably be starting as early as 8.30 tomorrow. So let's see how let's see how things are. Let's see how awake I am at that time of the day. But uh, today was a, a good day of writing. I've enjoyed it. And that uh, paracetamol's worked on my arm now, which is just as well, because what I'm going to do now is close down my documents for the day and I'm going to go for a run on the treadmill now. <coughs> it's 8.20 on Wednesday morning, the third and final day of writing this week. Another 5,000 words to get done today. And then I've got four days off where I'm not writing at all. I'm delighted to tell you that my arm has recovered overnight. Goodness knows what happened to that. I'm sure I just twisted it or something in bed the other night. And then it was quite painful when I went to bed last night. And I was thinking, oh, I hope that sorts itself out. That's going to be difficult when I write the next day. And it has. I just got up this morning. Not, not a trace of it. Not even a little dull ache or anything like that. Completely gone. So it's nothing writing related. It was just a twist, I think. And it's just sorted itself out. So that's good news. I just got on with it today. So three chapters again to do today. It's uh, 8.20, as I say, it's bright and early, and I'm good to go today. I'm all ready to go for it. I'm not at all troubled by it, and I'm not distracted in any way. I'm just happy to sit down and get these last 5,000 words done. So I'm going to get my head down, and I'm going to get on with it. That's the first chapter of the day written. Uh, I am two and a half minutes within my time, so I don't think you're going to hear the beeper go off, because I'll just make this a short insert. But uh, two and a half minutes, the beeper goes off, and I've written... 1,704 words. As I said to you in the first recording, I'm up for it today. I'm sort of awake, I'm lively, I'm in the flow of the story, so it's come nice and easily today. No problem with that scene. It was a second scene in the hospice picking up from what I did yesterday. I'm going to make myself a cup of tea now, and then I'm back in 1974, 1975 actually, this section of the story, and uh, you know back in the past so I've got another big revelation to make about a character who I'm just about to bring in to the present day as well so I'm looking forward to that not quite sure how the chapter's going to go it's just a brief note but I'll have a cup of tea and when the caffeine's flowing hopefully that chapter will flow easily it's 9.31 I've got a cup of tea in front of me now and I'm beginning to feel a little bit demob happy thinking that not far to go now and then I get my kind of four days of of non-writing now it's not that I don't enjoy the writing it's just that obviously it involves getting your head down and focusing quite a lot and I am really in the flow of it right now of course I've really warmed up for this week but obviously it's always easier not to write isn't it the other thing that's working really well for me is this new arrangement we've got when I was kind of in the wilderness when we got back from Spain the problem for me was a complete lack of structure and what I'm finding much simpler now 
is what I used to do, of course, before we went to Spain, is I always used to ride when my wife was working. It's it because, you know, we just distracted each other when we're in the house together. We just chat and have cups of tea together. You know what it's like. And so it's much easier for me <laughs> when she's out the house. And so that's why I write when she's out the house. It's always worked for me that because it just gives me that focus time. And part of that is muscle memory. It's what it's what I'm used to. I can write with my wife in the house because I had to last year when I did the other walk and bay trilogy. I don't like it, but, but I can just shut all the doors and lock myself in. But I, I do much prefer working this way. And this is really working well for me, doing my writing while she's at work. Because also, of course, it doesn't interfere in, in domestic life. Now, I never kind of stop working. You know what it's like as someone who's self-employed. You keep working all the time. I'm always doing this, that or the other. But those are all jobs that I can pick up and put down. They don't r- require the concentration and the commitment that the writing does. So, uh, yeah, just a little observation there that this system this new routine is working extremely well for me and I'm so pleased that I'm getting the words done now I'm back in the 1970s now so I'll take a few slurps of tea just compose my thoughts and then let's get another 1,600 1,600 or so words written that's the second chapter of the day finished I've overwritten on that one too 1,722 words uh, I am about for three to five minutes over my alarm so the alarm went off a few minutes ago because um, I took it a little bit longer with that scene now the reason for that was is I did a little bit of little bit of research which I don't normally do but I just wanted to check some facts this is quite a, a pivotal and emotional scene it's where one of the girls actually signs away her baby so there's a, a priest a social worker her parents in the room she doesn't really understand what's going on and effectively they're stitching her up and the reader knows what's happening but she's only 17 and very naive she doesn't really understand what's happening around her and she's literally just signed the paperwork that will give them permission to adopt out her baby once it's been born so the reader knows that but the character doesn't though she senses something going on and in the end just decides to trust the parents and I just wanted to make sure I was being authentic with that scene so I know there are loads of articles on this, uh, what happened to the girls in the 60s and 70s when their babies were taken away from them. And I just found a couple of articles and there's one that had two videos of, of the women speaking. I just wanted to get a sense of, of, of what really happened and, and whether the girls knew what was going on when they signed the documentation. And the newspaper articles make it very clear what kind of contempt they were held in uh, as un- unmarried mothers and how much pressure you know the parents put them under and the authorities and I just wanted to get a sense of that just to make sure I was being authentic now what I'll do if you're interested is I'll just put the two articles that I, I read there it only t- took me a few minutes because I know this story well but I, I just wanted to get the, the right mindset r- correct you know so that's why I was slightly slower writing this and I wouldn't normally uh, you know, do research while I'm writing, but I just felt the need to hear just to take a little side tour just for a few moments to make sure that the scene was right and I wasn't going to have to go back and do it again. I think I've got the, the tone of it right now. I'll find out for the readers, won't I? So what I'll do on this week's show notes for the podcast, I'll put those two links on so you can just see what I was looking at there to get into the zone. And the, the videos in particular are very strong, very emotional. and just helped me get my my mind in the right place for writing that scene so I think it's 10:41 now I'm going to just make another cuppa I think I just feel like another cup of tea and then I'm going to write the last chapter for me of this week
And so on to the last chapter of this week. I relented actually. I've been trying not to snack while I've been writing. And I do have a banana here on my right, but I made myself a piece of toast and put some marmalade on it to accompany my cup of tea. So I've been naughty, unfortunately. But um, it's the only time I've done it for a long time. So I just fancied a bit of toast today. It's one of those days in the UK. It's rainy and a bit chilly. And I just thought, oh, a bit of toast will do just the job. Anyhow, so that's good to give me my energy to write this final chapter. I totted up my words. I've got 1,574 or thereabouts to do in this chapter. It's never a an exact science as you know and it's a fairly straightforward chapter to write so I'm looking forward to doing that. Um, I'm buoyed up also I got a notification of payment by Ingram Spark while I was writing that last little bit. This is what I love about writing that certainly at this time of the month you start to get checks and notifications that come in. There's nothing quite like it really when you get all these little notifications for different things coming in it's always very nice. Also got an email from somebody which distracted me slightly but I'll, I'll, you know, the resist, the temptation is always to go in and to answer and to respond. But I'm going to wait until I've finished writing until I do that. So there's all these, you know, things trying to draw your attention: the toaster, the toast, the marmalade, emails, little payments, and things like that. So there's always things trying to tempt you. But I do try and keep these little breaks very strict, just to a maximum of a quarter of an hour. It's ten fifty-three now. If I start writing at 11, I should be done by midday, and that feels great to me. My wife will be back later this afternoon, and then uh, she's finished for the week, and I'm finished for the week, and that works really well for both of us. We could have some fun then. Now, that doesn't mean I'll stop working, of course, uh, but I, I just won't be writing. I won't have to do this high concentration stuff. So um, I'm setting up in this next chapter, setting up a lot of domestic pain for my main character you've kind of heard this this beat this drum all the way since the first book actually that this is coming and I'm going to bring it this domestic crisis as well as the the stress of the case and what's going on in the case that's all going to come to a big head <laughs> very shortly in this book which I'm I'm really looking forward to I've set up another confrontation in here right from the get-go really in this book and it's I don't know whether I'm going to drop it in this book. It's probably going to wait to the third book, but you know it's coming. You can feel it coming all the way along, and I'm just going to add a little bit more tension to that right now. So uh, looking forward to writing this chapter. A couple of slurps of tea. Just let that uh, toast go down. Enjoy the flavour of that lovely marmalade. I like my coarse-cut marmalade. And then that will be it for the week. So here we go then. Deep breath and off we go. And that's it. The writing has been done for another week. Uh, I just wrote 1,643 words in that chapter. That brings me to 5,069 words today. And if I just take a look at the compiled Word document, my total word count should be 35,000. It is actually 35,078 words so far. So I'm, I'm spot on as far as my word count is concerned. I haven't overrun, I haven't underrun that's fine as a margin of error. As I said to you, plus or minus 500 to me is reasonable. And uh, I'm quite happy with that. We're spot on. So at 35,000 words, this is a 75,000 word book. On Monday, when I start writing again, when I get to the second chapter, I'll actually be halfway through the entire book. And that really seems to have come very fast. The story has so much momentum now, there's no problem with it. That doesn't mean I won't get into a fix. But I do feel it's got its own momentum now. It knows exactly where it's going. You know, all the all the bits have been 
all the threads have kind of been woven now. It, it, it feels like it's there. Now, as I say, that doesn't mean I'm not going to get into a fix with it, but it does mean that we haven't got that initial inertia that you have when you're trying to write a new book. So that's the second week of writing 15,000 words. You've managed to keep it up so far. I've got uh, two more weeks of doing that before I head out to Beddedorm. And then one week when we get back from Beddedorm and that book will be done. So at least my confidence is a lot higher now that I can keep that up. So that is it now until four days time, five days time, Monday. I'll be back on Monday to do it all over again.